0: Welcome to the Inside Digital Transformation Podcast. Inside Digital Transformation explores how organizations of every size and shape are using technology today to survive and thrive in the face of relentless change. If you are a business or technology leader charged with making the most of digital transformation in your organization, then this podcast is for you. And now, here's your host, Alan Bernard, a technology journalist, editor, and copywriter who has been covering the intersection of business and technology for over two
1: decades. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Scott Gerlach, chief security officer and co-founder of the cybersecurity firm StackHawk, about shifting cybersecurity left. Shifting left is the practice of moving the responsibility for ensuring secure applications out of production and closer to the developers actually creating code. Shifting left helps repair the broken cybersecurity feedback loop between software developers and IT operations. It is faster, better, and cheaper to fix problems during the application development or update process, but that is not how most software shops run today. There are a lot of reasons for this, but chief among them is developers are not cybersecurity professionals. They do not have the knowledge or training they need to spot problems before they become vulnerabilities. Shifting left helps solve this problem. Scott, thank you uh, very much for your time. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, Alan, thanks for having me here. I'm super excited to be on Inside Digital Transformation. (laughs) Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm, I love doing this. It's it's great talking to you guys about all this stuff because I mean, it is so it is so important today. Just look at like Chat GPT and what's that? You know, right? That's going to revolutionize things, or it feels like it's going to anyway. This is this is big deal stuff. So, yep. Okay, so um, do you have a a definition of digital transformation that you work with as you go through your day?
0: Sure, I you know I feel like. I was looking at this in the period and I'm like, wow, this is such a loaded question on inside digital transformation. I better get this really, really right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So my, kind of my definition of digital transformation, like you mentioned, it it depends on where you are as a company. Like are born in the cloud companies doing digital transformation? Maybe, maybe they're like transforming bigger services to microservices, making them more nimble, making them more scalable a little bit of digital transformation but mm-hmm. the way that i usually think about it is you're they're taking a company whose primary business was not um commerce or api or digital communication type of thing uh and turning turning that and saying we can get much more information from suppliers and customers and the manufacturing line and the you know whatever mm-hmm. else is, is super important to them through this digital communication medium, whether that's APIs or some other thing, to help them be better, to help yeah. them be faster, more efficient, um, drive just-in-time inventory, you know, those kinds of things that helps, mm-hmm. helps a company become efficient. And now that may mean taking legacy on-prem servers and moving them to the cloud, or it may mean we don't have anything let's start with some servers. so, you know, mm-hmm. i think even in that right. case when people are are making that kind of leap, they're the people that are working on cios that are working on those things are thinking about like, okay, how do i not do this the wrong way given that everyone's kind of moving to the cloud or moving to um immutable work workloads, those kinds of things, but right. well, what technologies do I need? Do
1: I need DLTs, yeah, exactly. right? blockchain? Do I need cloud? Do I need apps? Do I need pick something? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's a, that's a, that's a big palette to draw from. Right. Um. So I, I have one that I run by everybody. Um, All right. and so it, it, for me, uh, digital transformation is using digital technology specifically to change the status quo. I mean, that's a, that's
0: way more succinct and
1: correct than what I said. But yes, I totally agree with you. Right, because it doesn't, it, to me, I, you know, because my job as, as a writer and a journalist is to boil the ocean as much as possible, right? <laughs> to turn intensely complex ideas into single sentences or paragraphs and then move on to the next idea. And But, you know, it, it seems like to me that wherever you are in your journey, that's ultimately what you're doing, right? You're changing the status quo in one way or another using technology, right? Uh, and, and it encompasses everything you said. Right, because it depends if you're a manufacturer, if you're a hospital, if you're a you know a services company, if you're a consulting firm. Do you have operations overseas? Do you, right all of those things factor into the mm-hmm. decisions you make around what technologies you need and ultimately deploy and at what scale? Right.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It's all about like how do you most efficiently get value to customers or value
1: back to the organization. Mm-hmm. And, and the keyword there, customer. Right? Who is the customer? Mm-hmm. Uh, internal customers or Equally as important as external co- customers when it comes to this stuff, right? Because it's it's a the ripple effect, right? If, if that's you right. you know disenfranchise your internal customers, then that's going to have a ripple effect on your external customers, certainly on customer service and things like that. And so, okay, well, I, I think that's actually a decent segue into what we're talking about because as you're doing this, uh, if you're a fairly good sized organization, because they're the only ones that are going to be concerned with what we're talking today, talking about today, which is shifting left, right, DevSecOps, if you know maybe another term for it and uh you're gonna have to you're gonna have to have internal development teams you're gonna be thinking along you know in terms of agile and and improving product and things like that but there's plenty of big companies like uh, i worked for a big manufacturer that had uh you know that made you know giant turbines for for people and you know they had an internal dev team that was that was you know pretty large because they were running software that was proprietary to their product right Mm -hmm. so um but so what is so for? But for the people who aren't familiar with the term, um, what what does shift left mean? Um I think, like you said in your email to me initially, was it's not a new term, and nor is it a new concept. But I think it, it's kind of taken on a new meaning, perhaps, or maybe dive into yeah, that a little bit. Maybe
0: I mean we'll we'll probably talk about this and and how I think about this in terms of DevSecOps a little bit. But shift left is is the idea that. Uh, The more things that you can put in the hands of developers, the more efficient they can be, the the faster they can deliver what they're trying to deliver. So that already happened with operations. So how do I spin up servers and services and databases and all that stuff so I can build infrastructure as code? Yeah, exactly. Infrastructure as code. That already happened. So now what's happening is we're trying to figure out uh, as an industry and as technology companies, how do I fix this broken security
1: feedback loop. Hmm, And that's
0: what, that's kind of what I think encompasses shift left
1: today. Although it's, that's kind of what I see when I did my research, it really focuses on cyber more than anything else.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it yet it is yet another fancy marketing term like cloud and blah, 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 blah. But what what it's really talking about is how do I fix this really old mentality of like, how do I get security? Uh, Application security, infrastructure security information back to my developers who are the ones that control it and can fix it anyway. Mm -hmm. So, infrastructure as code, if I find a vulnerability in some infrastructure, the only way way I can really fix it is infrastructure as code. If I find an application security problem, the only way I can really fix it is in code. And the people that do that for the majority of companies, there are like little, there are companies that have little tiger teams of security people who go in, they jump in and they, hack away a fix and they jump out. Okay. But for the most part, you got to send that stuff back to development. And there's a ton of stuff that goes wrong, goes around um, into that loop to get it back to a dev to fix it. And it takes a really long time. And it's so inefficient because what you're doing is going, all right, I found a problem in an application. Uh I'll, mm-hmm. I'll stick with applications because I know application's the best. Uh, I found a okay. problem in an application yeah. on the internet, publicly available so customer there's, facing yeah customer mm-hmm. face there's risk there right? So now right. I'm like, okay, how do I mitigate this risk the fir- The very first thing I do is probably create a ticket, and then I go beg and plead product and engineering to prioritize why to fix that thing mm-hmm. And hopefully I get them to go, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's there, that is the thing we should do before we do more customer value
1: driven items. I think of two examples, Heartbleed and Log J4 come to mind. Yeah, log4j like right? and Heartbleed. log j yeah. 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 Right. Where that's a priority item compared to a new widget or uh, changing the color on a on a front end UI, right? That type of thing. So
0: yeah. And and so, you know, in in let's take the log4j. Uh, it's a case, for mm-hmm. instance, um, log4j vulnerability comes out, security teams know about it. They do a ton of work to go, where do we have log4j? Where do we need to fix log4j? Who's in charge of fixing log4j? And then they try to spin up product and security teams to go, we have to all hands fix this. I don't know as they have a great idea of where it's actually vulnerable. And they're just like, if my favorite my favorite term here is spreading the peanut butter thin like we we'll yep. fix it everywhere
1: which is not really risk mitigation it's just more mm-hmm. stamp the thing dead that sounds like a tiger team effort actually yeah. not necessarily shift left cuz shift left is more everyday correct development tasks right where you're moving the idea of cybersecurity into the development environment mm-hmm. and out of the SREs, for example, or in or out of the ops side, which is where it has been for so long, right?
0: Yeah. I, so in that same example, so we let's let's talk about that tiger team a little bit. It it took, it took maybe two weeks, a month, if you're lucky, to get that kind of stamped out across an organization, depending on how good your tiger team is, how many things you had to fix, all that good stuff. If we were talking about that in a shift left kind of mentality and going, Hey, this, this library is out of date, update it. Hey, this library is out of date, update it. Hey, this library is out of date, update it. You're taking much more incremental steps to get to, I'm in a safe spot than you are with we're on 2.0 and it's 2.7 or whatever the versions were. Right. And what is that going to break when we do that? Mm -hmm. Because it did. Um, so if you take those incremental steps, it's much more efficient when there's a problem. Let's talk
1: about that. I mean, for, for people who don't know, what is sure. a library?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of applications, we're talking about open source libraries or libraries that you're using to build value, build applications. So
1: if your so application... So code I go get, it's a chunk of code, uh, yep. a, a cache register, not cache register, yeah. what am I thinking? Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, e- for an e-commerce site, right? It's a, it's a checkout function, for example, That's right. right? Or and it's pretty, you don't want to reinvent that. You don't want to build it yourself. You go to GitHub, you grab it, you pull it down, you embed it in your, in your application, right?
0: That's right. So you're, you're, you're trying to build something that has intrinsic value to a customer, and you don't want to spend time on the thing that doesn't have value.
1: Right. So okay. if you're
0: like, I need to render HTML or render markdown to be able to sell this widget, selling the widget is the valuable thing. Got rendering it. the markdown is not so you probably go get a library to help you do this markdown rendering mm-hmm. and focus your energy on building the sales function for the widget
1: okay and so in the library it has all the code everything you need for that that function that you're trying to achieve right but i think it's a good example because you said okay so we downloaded 2.0 but we're at it, but it's really the most current version is 2.7 and in the shift left mentality, the dev needs to think along those lines, right? Because they've been using 2.0 for six years or six months, whatever it is, right? By mm-hmm. like six months at this point, the way things change, right? Um, but but you need to they need to be thinking, okay, instead of just plugging it in and moving on, because this is what they've been doing, it's the same one they built a hundred times. They need to think, is this the most up-to-date version? Is this the most secure version of this library? Right. And would that be an example of of shifting left? I think it is. i think I think if you think about
0: what priorities are on software engineering teams is like get value to uh customers get mm-hmm. get value to customers as quickly as possible, and don't fix what ain't broke like okay. you're spending time refactoring things because they don't look good in code that you wrote is probably the wrong thing to do because that's preventing you from getting value to the customer. And the same thing may happen in library updates. Don't fix what ain't broke. Okay. So that's the thing. And it's very expensive to know when it's broke Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in library land and in in lots of application security land. It's expensive to know when it's broke.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, so if you have a bug, a functional bug in an application, and it doesn't do a thing. You can discover that through unit tests or function tests or integration right. tests. Or when a customer gets a hold of it, they're like, dude, I click the button and nothing happens. That's the worst time to
1: find out. That, that
0: is the absolute worst time to find <clears throat> it. But it's not expensive to know. Because something there's some tooling built in there that helps a developer go, this is not working the way it's supposed to work. Now When we're talking about application security, historically, these things were expensive to know because you had to do some packaging and sending off or some really expensive uh, process that kind of only security people knew about. And then you'd get a ticket back and go, okay, well, now I know about it a month later or two months later, that thing that I built doesn't even compile on my machine anymore because... Java is out of date, or npm is out of date, or PHP is out of date, or the environment's wrecked. So now I got to spend time rebuilding that environment to be able to go version bump, run my tests again.
1: Hmm. Okay,
0: so that's that's why it was ex- why it was historically expensive to figure this stuff out contextually, uh, time, all this good
1: stuff. And did that stop people, developers in particular, from pursuing cyber as uh, as a function of their day to day activities? I think I think it's a one of the leading
0: factors is just like their job is delivery value. Their secondary, tertiary, all of those like trailing pieces of their job are quality, performance, security, all that stuff and the more, and the cheaper you make it to understand how those things work, the more interested they are, right? Okay. Deve- so- developers I think are are curious, creative, proud people and they want to mm-hmm. put out high quality software. Right. And when you talk to them and you ask them, what do you care about? It, like the, the thread that gets pulled through that is
1: things. that's easy for me to know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's human nature. Right. Yeah. And then you have the business. Ultimately, it's the business pressure, I think, on the creative process that requires a certain, I mean, Agile has two week scrums, right? And so that's, that's, you got this is, it's a finite amount of time and that creates stress, which leads to different types of working styles, right? Um, so, but back to the library example, it sounds to me then that there's another wrinkle here. And that is we use 2.0 because we know 2.0, it ain't broke. 2.7, we got to test that sucker. Mm-hmm. It might be broke all over the place as we're in our application, it may just, right. It may break. And then now we're kind of starting over a little bit. Right. And so uh, is that kind of the thinking as well? Does I mean, that, that's part of it. There's, there's a handful of reasons a library would get a version update, right? Well, but, I, yeah, that, that's okay. But, but I just, I'm just thinking that this sounds to me like that what we just discussed is another reason why a library you wouldn't up-download the most up-to-date library, right? For example, as a dev, you wouldn't use the most up-to-date code, right? For right. Well,
0: I mean, you might. You might at the time when you first pull it in and put it in package.json or or some other package manager. You, at that time, it might be the most up-date, up-to-date thing. right? And as long as it keeps doing the job that you want it to do, you don't really care. Until someone goes, Oh, there's a security bug in this thing, we need to update it. And now you're like, okay, well, I got it. Is it exploitable in my system? Do I need to spend time on this thing? Because if I do, and we're a major version out or we're four minor versions out, there might be breaking functionality cooked mm-hmm. through those versions. Right. Which is a good reason for me to not upgrade before. And now there's a security vulnerability. So now yeah. I gotta work my way through all this stuff and that's kind of that's what i mean by like if you take that incremental step into hey this library is out of date and there's a problem with it hey this library is out of date and there's a new feature or functionality and i can understand what that life cycle looks like in the in the way i'm using the library it's easier to go from i got 26 there's a security vulnerability in 26 27 cuz the only thing that changed there is the security vulnerability it's much easier Whereas you're, if you're 2.0 and 2.7 is the, hey, the security vulnerability has been in existence since 2.0, everything until 2.7 is vulnerable. P.S., we did a bunch of changes to how the library works in between. Right Now there's a lot of testing that has to go on.
1: <clears throat> so that sounds, because I was thinking this in terms of new builds, right? But that sounds to me like an existing application issue, sure. right? Um Does shift left still apply in this instance? As how we're discussing this current vulnerability with 2.0 versus 2.7. Yeah, I think so. Like
0: if you're, if you're working on an application over its lifetime, there's a ton of, of tech debt. All of this, all of this is tech debt. Sure. There's a ton of tech debt cooked throughout that application, whether or not the function doesn't work quite right, or it's not optimized or whatever it is. Right. Or there's a bug it has security implications. And if you put it on the, if you publish it, that's a vulnerability. That's all tech debt. And it's all Mm -hmm. about managing tech debt across this, across this application that you're working on. And where we, where we really run into problems is his things making us money, but we're not doing in development on anymore. That's maybe the hardest part because there is no left to shift it to. No one's working Mm -hmm. on it. No one's doing anything. That's one of the harder things to do as a, security professional is, is go, Hey, this thing is actually causing us risk and the business goes and gives us, it brings us money right. or value in some way.
1: What's the, so now that's a risk tolerance exercise. Absolutely. At that point. Yeah. Yep. That's a business decision. at that you point. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's talk about uh, why shift, why is it needed? What I saw in what I, then the research I did for, for the call today was that you, that shift left is, you know, something that that has been going on for some time, right? Like you said, it's nothing new. So let's talk about why is shift left needed uh, and um, what's driving it today. So, so you, you hit on so many topics I want to talk about.
0: Uh, first of all, the the main driver here is kind of the generally accepted ratio of security people to developers in the industry is 100 to one, 100 developers, one security person. Mm, okay. I think that's actually a little low. It's probably closer to 200 to 1, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, I think some large enterprises and bigger, medium-sized businesses skew that number a little bit. But you're talking about one security person that's trying to manage risk across applications for 100 devs and work on phishing, work on... Uh, documents, work on computer security, endpoint security, network security, like their jobs are very all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a 200-person organization and you have two security, two security people, their main focus is probably not working on application security. Their main focus is probably working on infrastructure security security, Detect and respond on phishing because that's like the mm-hmm. easiest way to get in. Right. Um, there, there's like a lot of things they're working on. And so therefore, they don't get time to work on application security holistically. Mm-hmm. This is where shift left really helps, right? If you democratize how application security works and you feed that information in a consumable fashion and self-serve way to people who are writing code, they're much more likely to go. Ooh, actually, I know what that is. I can fix that right now. Or mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: tangentially, like the secondary benefit of that is I have all the stuff documented. Right now, it's not a, I got to go do a point in time assessment of a thing somewhere. And that point in time assessment is invalidated three days later when they do another release. Now we're, now we're talking about it over the life cycle of the product. And it's a, it's a, it's maybe even a more mature way of talking about tech debt in an application than we're used to. In what way? Cataloging all of the tech debt that exists in an application over time, specifically having to do with security risks. I don't I don't know as a bunch of places that have like this like crazy catalog of tech debt. People kind of intrinsically know it in their head, mm-hmm. like your senior devs are like, yeah, this is a huge problem, it's going to bite us in the ass. But it's not like written down anywhere or discussed necessarily in a larger group. And we're kind of trying to do that with application security. And there's, a, there's kind of a thing that's happening, which is like, wow, this is pretty mature. How do I think about that as a security person and as a developer, right? So security people, when you talk about this concept, they'll go, but my devs will just mark everything as false positive. <laughs> and and I go, okay, is, is that a problem? He's, and they go, well, yeah, because some of them are real. I'm like, well, they're still documented. You can still go back and do your trust and verify job. But now well, the thing that you don't have to do is understand where the applications are, who maintains them, who, how many times they get published, who okay. could fix them if there's a real problem. You've undone a lot of that work. Now you just go, hey, this thing is actually a real thing, and it got marked as a false positive by developer A. I'm going to go talk to developer A about a very specific thing about why I think this is more risky than they understand.
1: So this cataloging that you're referring to, so let's go back to kind of the beginning here of of your comments, which is on the 100 to 1 issue, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Is it also, though, but see, I guess the question I have is: is when people were building software before, and with continuous integration, right, and you know testing automation, um, doesn't that fix the problem? Um, right? Why do developers need to worry so much about security when they're just going to run it through a bunch of QA testing anyway?
0: Yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about your DevSecOps thing here real quick. Okay. Um, yep. When when we went, hey. Uh, this QA function isn't providing us a ton of value and the feedback loop is too long. Let's integrate that into CI or CD testing loops, make the tests automated, make them run all the time, get that mm-hmm. feedback quickly. We don't call that dev QA ops. We right. call it dev ops. It's all part of the same <laughs> right, thing, right? right?
1: Yeah. Got <laughs> so
0: it. this is, this is why this is how I think dev sec ops started was security. People were like, dude, this looks awesome. We want to play in the middle. And we're not right. going to change how we behave, but we're definitely important in the DevOps cycle. So DevSecOps. Okay. And it's in DevOps itself is more about how you ch- changing how you operate and what you're doing and how you how you think about integrating into that life cycle. Right. So I really think it's DevOps. The the reason I say that is because. Bringing the happy path testing back into CI is really valuable. I can test in CI if my happy path tests are working the right way. And when I say happy, what's a happy path test, happy path test, I put an input in here and an output should come back and look like this. Okay. I make a call to this API endpoint and I should get JSON response that contains some of this data. Okay. That's like happy path testing. What happens in security testing is it's bad path testing and a lot of it. And so you're talking about whether you're talking about static code analysis, looking at code that's been written, Mm -hmm. looking for patterns that are or code flow that is bad or can introduce a vulnerability or software composition analysis, which is looking at those open source libraries going, this is out of date and vulnerable or dynamic application security testing, testing running code looking for bad path that works. Those are all kind of bad path type tests. So you're saying, okay, on this API endpoint, if I put invalid input, it should come back with an output that looks like this. Security testing goes, that's cool. What if I put bad input into it over and over and over and tons of different patterns and tons of different uh, exploit kinds of attempts? Will it respond the way that it's not supposed to? Now this is really expensive to write uh one by one, right? So if you went to a dev, come up with every kind of thing that you could potentially throw at this that would make this application break or make it vulnerable, they'd be like, "Um, that's not my job. I I don't I don't understand <laughs> I don't application security enough right. to be able to do that." That's where those security tools come in to be able to go, "I see an endpoint here that takes an input. We're going to hammer away at it with SQL injection, cross-site scripting, command injection, Mm -hmm. like this whole litany of OWASP top 10 or API top 10 slash top all, not just Mm -hmm. the top 10, but all of them. Right. And see if the
1: application responds the wrong way. And by top 10, you mean the top 10 vulnerabilities? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So see if the application responds. Yeah. If the application responds the wrong way, I want to raise an alert. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we say, you know, we say a lot security testing is just testing. Right. Right. Security testing testing is is just
1: testing. As it should be. But, you know, I I guess, you know, if we go back far enough, there really wasn't any security testing. Right. And that's, I think that's where all of this begins is 20 years ago. Right. When you just rolled out stuff and oh my gosh, Brian Mitnick, remember him? The very first mm-hmm. hacker I think' is, Kevin credit. mitnick is yeah, it Kevin? Kevin, yeah Kevin mitnick Kevin mitnick, yeah and uh right and, and so you know uh now it's uh it's you know you can buy it as a service yeah the the game
0: has changed, and the thing that has changed is it's becoming much more profitable, oh
1: yeah, right, <laughs> insanely it's, profitable
0: now it's like money there's there's actual value associated with this, and the value comes in taking the least path of resistance. It's an it's a economy of scale problem that every business faces. How do I quickly de- derive value right.
1: from right. what I'm doing? And if my business is hacking other people's systems, then I want to do it as quickly. As-
0: I want to do <laughs> it as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So as far as people
1: actively moving security further into the dev world. Um, I say people, I mean organizations. Uh, where do you think that, is there an adoption curve cycle here? Or where do you think we are in that? Because like with with um, Agile, for example, I read not too long ago that, you know, it's been around for 10, I think, what, 10, 15 years. And it's only in about 50% of shops are doing Agile. At this yeah. point, so it seems like a you know it's an old idea, but still for a lot of people it's a new concept, right? So where are we kind of at on that curve?
0: Yeah, I think if you talk if we're talking about the Rogers curve here, I think we're somewhere Rogers in, Rogers curve. Yeah, Rogers Bell curve: the innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, laggards. Oh, interesting. Okay, I gotta look that, that cycle. Up. I think we're I think we're in early adopters, late early adopters, but really? still early adopters. Okay. There's a there's a ton of innovators that were here um doing this kind of work mm, five, six years ago. Okay. I think you're starting to security teams that we talk to are all understanding that they need to change this thing. So we're in this like early adopter, um early adopter part of this wave, which is the upswing on the bell curve right before you hit the top. Mm-hmm. Um Intrinsically, they know they have to do this, right? Because of that hundred to one thing right. and, this, and the shortage of cybersecurity professionals that has, is not going away, they, they intrinsically know that they need to start doing this. So they're talking about it. They're working on plans to get there. There's a ton of groups that we've talked to that I've talked to that are doing exactly what we're talking about. Um, so I think we're in that still early adopters um, phase here. Okay. And I think a lot of the people that are talking, talking about how do we do shift left? How do we do it the right way? How do we empower developers? How do we trust people that we work with in the same organization? They're talking about it and they're really pushing the thought process of can I actually do this? Can I actually give people tools and information and trust them to make decisions? and document those decisions and then come back and, and do my job of like, and verify, mm-hmm. um, and notice I never say, but verify because, but verify to me says I don't in, inherently trust what people did. Okay, I, I always say trust and verify. So I think, I think we're in early adopters.
1: I think, so I think. Is it, is it a cultural thing? Is it, you know, the old famous mm-hmm. people process technology, right? Uh, and methodology in there, perhaps right in the, in the process slash methodology. Um, what is cuz there's a lot of tools involved right um continuous mm-hmm. testing uh, continuous integration requires uh continuous testing right and it's all tool space it seems like to me it's automated otherwise you're just never going to get through a million lines of code right um am i right on that it's pretty much you're going to automate if you're going to do this you
0: you you have to automate if you're going to do this although yeah. i won't say you can't just magically run uh rub cloud on a technology problem, and then digital transformation happens.
1: Well, I mean, the tools, there's, yeah. just, there's like hundred tools to use. Exactly. It just depends what you're, how to apply them, what you're doing. And right? the,
0: the, the point I'm trying to make is like, you can't just go, Hey, we're going to use Amazon now and do the exact same thing that you were doing before and make that
1: efficient. Okay.
0: So it is a little bit of tools. It's a little bit of tools that help you culture change,
1: right? Culture
0: change is the important part. There are great tools out there that can help you perform that culture change.
1: Interesting. Okay. And I guess it would be the same as shifting from waterfall to agile, right? Well, not the same, but in, in many regards, as far as culture goes, right? You got to shift. Yes, how you that's think about, culture shift 100%. Right. Yeah. How you manage people, how they think of their positions, how leaders lead, right? Uh, all of that has to change when you go from a waterfall project mindset to a product agile mindset, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and the same thing happens in this like shift left mentality, right? You, you have to, security teams need to undo what they think is their intrinsic value. Which is? Right, this, now, the, right now, the majority of them think their intrinsic value is finding problems. Okay. Their real value to organization is managing risk or helping the organization manage risk. Okay. That's their real value. It's not finding risk right? Like if I, if my job was find okay. pennies, yep. uh, that's great. But where do we put the pennies? The real value is in the piggy bank, not the finding the pennies. Got it. Yep. So that, that, that is maybe the biggest mind shift that a lot of security teams have to go through is like, my value is helping the organization manage risk to an acceptable level.
1: Right. So that's you can never big, eliminate eliminated.
0: yeah, that. that's a big conversation. Because right. risk zero is shut the business off, shut 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 it down because there's risk all over the place,
1: not just cyber risk. So that's kind of the culture part. Uh, as far as tools adoption, that seems like a really sticky wicket. <laughs> I don't know. why I'm using that term, it's a very English sort of term, but you know, it, it, that seems like man, that's a, there's a lot of decisions to be made there right? Uh, open source uh, proprietary platforms. Uh, do we let Amazon to your point handle all of this? Can they handle all of this? Mm-hmm. So th- there's a huge landscape there that you have to navigate effectively if you're not going to just keep pumping out code that that isn't working on the other end, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: tooling purchasing is a very hard piece of this. Um, thinking about how you're going to use tooling and where you're going to use tooling and who's consuming tooling is the really, really important part, right? So I'll give you an example in application security land. Mm -hmm. Almost every single application security product ever built has been built for a security professional. They organize Mm -hmm. data that way. They, the configuration is set up for how the context of a security professional, the, Integrations they build are like push tickets for everything. Th- those kinds of things, like they're they're very much built for a security professional, and security professionals spend a lot of time learning how to use
1: those tools. Yep. Right. And 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 use them well, right? And, and use them the well. Other side of it, right?
0: The whole point here is that if you're trying to change how the tool works and who gets the output and when, you have to like break that mental mental um, picture of like how the tool works and who's going to do what, and involve the people that are going to end up using the tool. So if you're looking for a shift left CICD tool, mm-hmm. that your whole goal is, I would like the output to go back to devs so that they can fix things or triage things or whatever. And you go shopping for this tool and there's no devs involved in what you're doing, you're probably going to buy the wrong thing. And you're, okay. you're likely going to end up buying shelfware. Right. Right. So, Because yep. if you don't get buy-in from a development organization about how this is going to work and here's what it looks like, how does that look to you and, and what would you do with this and how does it fit into your workflow? If you don't get that before you buy the tool, you're going to get a
1: lot of pushback. So what are the benefits of this um, as far as to the organization? right? Uh, let's just start with that. The benefits to the organization.
0: Yeah. To the organization, it, it's um, much more efficient, right? So if, you, if we talk about this long feedback loop again, we're talking about uh, sometimes the argument is my CICD tooling will run faster if I don't implement uh, security tooling in it. Now you take that downstream and you go, okay, now there's a vulnerability in production. Whether or not someone has found that changes this calculation a little bit, but getting that to be fixed takes product prioritization, engineering resources, some kind of communication about why this thing is risky. That's um, a decent amount of time, right? So you're talking, let's say, optimistically, you can turn that around in two weeks. If there is a breach, you might have to shut down product and engineering for a month to rectify this issue and go find the rest of the issues and try to rectify them as well mm-hmm. to be able to instill customer trust. Okay. Like we had a problem. We fixed that problem and we went and looked for other problems and mm-hmm. fixed those as well is a much better story than we had a problem. We fixed it and we're back to normal business as normal. hmm customer trust gets a little wonky in
1: that in that scenario. Yeah, and we're not talking about just, you know, uh, consumer apps here. We're talking industrial applications, right? Yeah, you we're know, we're talking things that run turbines B, and power plants and right? This is
0: B2C, yeah. B2B, right. industrial complexes, all of this stuff. All of them have customers, so we're all talking about customer trust, right? <clears throat> now, if you go, okay, well, we could we could identify those things and potentially fix them. While we're building them, and it takes us an extra five minutes, mm-hmm. takes us an extra ten minutes, takes us an extra day, you've increased the efficiency of the organization by quite a lot. and some some things say the earlier uh, if you find a security vulnerability in while you're building code or in CICD, it's thirteen to twenty times more efficient than if you find them and then try to fix them from prod.
1: Okay, uh, so what are its limitations?
0: limitation uh, Limitations are uh, education and culture, education and culture. Well, uh, I guess
1: what I'm what I'm thinking about though is you know what, it, there's no panacea in there, yeah no, any of this right no so it's not going to fix everything you're not going like to we talked about you know you can't go to zero risk mm-hmm. right it's not going to fix that so um, you know at some point. Do the tools just not catch, you know, zero days or a limitation, for example, right? Or, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, no tool is, is is prescient or omnipotent, right? So yeah. it, that's kind of what I was thinking.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Tool limitations. So even process
1: right. limitations. Yeah, right?
0: you're right. So the process limitations are the thing I was talking about before, but tooling limitation, you're right that there is no silver bullet. However. Uh, Automating this information, having this continuous record of what's going on, enables you to get more value out of other processes. So, if you've got a bug bounty program, um, you've got a bug bounty program. You put stuff on the internet. Uh, bug bounty researcher comes up by and goes, "Hey, I ran a simple automated tool and I found fifty things." Now you got to deal with all that stuff. However, if you also run the simple automated tool. <clears throat> and you identify those things uh, and you fix those things, now that researcher has to do more work. And that work is valuable, right? That work is valuable to you and to them because they've got to work on, is there a logic bug here? Is there a, hum- um, a problem that can be discovered that's easier to find with human brain than with computer brain? So you're starting to get more value out of that. Same thing with a pen test. So lots of organizations have to get an annual or more frequent pen test. Mm -hmm. If you can go, dude, we covered a lot of the the basics here. We've either fixed or know about the really basic stuff that we can find with automation. Now your job is hard. Your job as a pen tester is actually pretty hard. And the things that they're going to find are highly valuable. So you're starting okay. to drive more value in other processes as well. But to your point, the tooling is not infallible. It's not perfect. It can't find everything. Um, so what you're trying to do is push incremental value into
1: process. Okay. And so, uh, but, we, but the education training part also mm-hmm. is a limitation. So talk about that. Yeah, I th- I think if you
0: are looking to shift left and you're not doing some kind of educational or hey we're on a journey together type um shift in culture then you're doing yourself a disservice you're you're you may have been seen as the department of no you may mm-hmm. have been seen as right. the de- department of here's 110 billion tickets <laughs> uh and right. so if you're not doing a I want to change what I'm doing so that you can change what you're doing. And we're on this journey together. And instead of everything's a priority, everything's the most important thing. Here's 11 billion tickets talking about, we're trying to do incremental fines. We're trying to do uh, one of my favorite terms, Kaizen, small incremental improvements to what we're doing in application security or in application development even then you're doing yourself a disservice and it's going to, your things are going to get rejected, right? So there's, there's a limitation in, you can't just buy a tool and do it the same way that you were before. That's, that's mm-hmm. a
1: limitation cultural that's the process. The right? bolt on mentality that this is really meant to address, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Let's see.
0: Uh I've got some thoughts on that but you, you know you bring up a good point. Um part part of my early career here was working at GoDaddy. Um okay. large hosting service. Yeah, 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 cool. That was really eye-opening is to work at a hosting company go, "Hey, we have servers, we'd like to give you access to them." And see how much uh attack traffic actually happens on the internet every day. Is really, really, really interesting, but it really makes you focus on important stuff. Mm-hmm. It makes you, it makes you go, okay, cool. We're just gonna be under attack.
1: Yeah. That's all that's position. all there is to it. We're yeah.
0: on the we're on the internet, we're gonna be under attack. That's step one. Step two is how do I how does this company that I work at make money? Like what's the inherent, intrinsic value of this company that helps us make money? Start there. Start at protecting that thing. Get okay. really good at that. And then go, okay, now I gotta make sure that my separation of duty processes or um my spearfishing education is really good so that this other thing doesn't happen. Because if you start at the at the things that seem easy to tackle, right? Preventing spear phishing uh emails from coming in. Doing separation of duty stuff on wire transfer, that actually is fairly easy. Um, but tackling okay. the things that seem easy first inherently puts you behind the eight ball on the things that are actually hard,
1: but okay. derive the value to the business. Does that make sense? It does. Um, yeah, because it's a kind of a panacea effect, right? You feel like you're doing something important by tackling the the, the low-hanging fruit, and you can show the board oh we have you know uh, access management in place right and and so therefore you know we use we use multi factor so we're good right yeah as opposed to what we talked about which is making sure that your applications are secure from the start not at the end right yeah
0: and i'm not saying don't do those other things right but well no you have to they're, they're like, table stakes right where where you're putting the effort should be proportional to in some way how your business is operating right? Do you need access okay. control? Yes. Do you need the world's most complicated uh, mandatory access control lists and blah, 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 blah. Probably not unless you're actually in the government. Right. Um, or you're watching dealing with, Martin
1: or something. Yeah. Right. And
0: dealing with top secret information, then absolutely. But making sure that you understand the value that you're driving to customers, and this is really hard for security people, let alone CIOs get a, have a better grasp of this. but. How Mm -hmm. you're driving value for customers, and then making sure that you have a good understanding, overview, landscape of how that is being protected, and then go out from there.
1: Interesting. Okay. All right. And that informs, back to our conversation, how you do this idea of shifting left, right? Yeah. Because I don't think you can get away with not doing it today, can you? I
0: don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't think you can, like you might be able to get away with, oops, we're young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might be able to get away with, oops, there's no real impact to you. So credit card stuff kind of has that, that implication to customer. Like there's other problems that go along with that, whether it's PCI fines or, or some financial system fine or somebody raises your credit card transaction rate. There's implications there, but there's probably not a ton of customer trust issue, especially today with how many times it's happened and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. People are just like, yeah,
1: cool, or whatever. Um, To your point about you need to understand risk in order to inform – risk is the strategy, it sounds like, what you're saying, right? Understanding risk and how your organization makes money and what value it provides to your customers, that's strategic right? Uh, and then how do you secure that is the tactical aspect of this, right. right? And in, in context of this conversation, how, what you do to apply this shift left mentality to your organization then gets informed by those strategic priorities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, okay. You hit the nail on the head, like the tactical part of uh, doing security necessarily needs to be informed by the strategic part of the business. Like there's more than just cyber risk to a business, right? So you've got competitors, you've got market conditions, you've got a ton of stuff that the business is trying to work on mitigating risk there as well. Mm -hmm. How, How does that all fit together is tricky, but very important to the tactical operation of what do we do to mitigate the cyber risk? Gotcha.
1: Okay. All right. Well, let's leave it there. uh Great conversation. Yeah. Absolutely, Alan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Wish, wish
0: we could have talked guitars a little bit more, but you know, <laughs> next cool. time okay. we'll talk
1: about. We'll figure out a way to work cyber into to playing music somehow. Cyber so. guitars. Cyber guitars. God. <laughs> oh, thank you again. I appreciate your time. Yeah. yeah thank you. I appreciate it. If you liked this episode, please tell your friends and check out our other shows. You can find Inside DT on all the major hosting platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Google. Talk to you soon.